So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome back to The Awkward Controllers with my boys, Ethan and Austin. Um, guys, we've got a little business to take care of. We're going to be talking main subject, best RPGs ever, and what makes great RPGs today. We're also going to talk news and games we're playing, um, and there's going to be a few surprises in, in both of those categories. First of all, Ethan, welcome back. Hey, I'm here. And Austin, great to have Hello. you. What's up, man? Nice to be here. This worked great. Austin had some mic problems, but he fixed it, and we managed to work the time together. So this is fantastic. So great to have both of you guys here. Ethan, real quick, how's Ireland? Um, the land of grayscale, I can confirm, is still the land of grayscale. <laughs> really? Even midsummer? Uh, uh, it was actually really hot uh, for them. It was like They were in the middle of a drought. Oddly mm-hmm. enough, when I got there, but as soon as of course as soon as I get there, mm-hmm. it starts downpouring. Mm-hmm. So I got totally soaked. But you know, yeah, Ireland. What I love about the Irish, it, other than how much they hate the English, <laughs> is because of that. Because they retreated, sort of like a third world country. They're very different from other European. Like there's no European country oh, like Ireland. There's really you know, and so. Some people find the people, you know, some areas are friendlier than others, but I, overall, I think they've got good hospitality there. I had a great time when I was there. They're, they're so nice that they love Americans. It's crazy. And while I do love Irish traditional music and it's great to go listen to sessions and stuff, they just have great music in general, you know, tons of rock stars and so forth. And if you like that, I got a clip for you because they may have forced my dad to come up on stage and sing with them. Oh my God. I almost want to stop the podcast and watch that, but we're going to push on. Um, first of all, business. This happens once, usually early on in each new series, which is I have sound problems. And uh, we did record, uh, well, we recorded about an hour a couple weeks ago, um, but it, it was really like two thirds of that because of constant sound problems. And we didn't have enough topics, I don't think. I might release some of them as clips, like quickies, guys, but this one here is officially the second Awkward Controllers podcast, even though we've done like four. But this is officially AC02, as I'm calling it. So we are going to move on, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy the RPG discussion today, because Octopath, it's been a great couple of years for RPGs of all sorts. Dragon Quest is coming out, which I'm probably more excited about than most, but we will get to that. So the game plan today, um, which the guys know, but just for the Bizzlecast listeners, we're going to start with a a brief but sort of wide-ranging 
kind of philosophical discussion about some of the things that elements that we like in our RPGs. Um, and then we're going to uh, read down uh, some of the top RPGs as rated by a couple different websites I'm looking at. We're going to weigh in on them and add our own to the list. Then we are going to get to games we are playing. Spoiler alert, I'm addicted to Mass Effect Andromeda, which I've been trashing for a year. So you're welcome, America. And you're going to be hearing more about that. I look forward to hearing what you guys are playing. And then we're going to do some news. Ethan's got some topics. And then we'll wrap up with uh, final thoughts. Sound good, guys? Sounds good. Okay. Well, let me start with the personal question. Um, Austin, I think I know the answers to this for you. And Ethan, I maybe know the answer to this to you. So let me start with Austin. Um, Mm -hmm. Since you've been video gaming, I know both of you guys are very familiar with retro games, but... In general, Austin, since you started gaming on various platforms, has RPGs always been a favorite genre of yours, or is that something that's grown over time? Uh, at first, um, I was into like first-person shooters because it was like pretty straightforward, just kill everybody. But like once I started like understanding story-driven games, like I, my dad played them all the time on like PlayStation and stuff. I did, I just kind of like had that same like enjoyment of those kind of games and stuff so that's why i really like the final fantasy series because like he warmed me up to it yeah and uh um ethan i'm gonna throw it to you um but what's interesting about the list is most of these games are from the 80s and 90s or the last five years and i think you know with playstation and then everyone following with the 3d graphics craze in the late 90s early 2000s obviously shooters and like action games like tomb raider took over but there's been a huge renaissance in the last few years obviously um it was launched by skyrim final fantasy has always kind of been around and we'll bring up some of those games but there's definitely been a renaissance it'll be interesting to compare older games if you guys are familiar with them with newer games i'll try not to get too old man brenner but there's a couple a couple properties like with wizardry and might and magic that i think deserve a couple minutes um of reminiscing because those were games i spent hundreds of hours playing growing up um and uh as we teased in the last podcast unfortunately which didn't get released you know and we've talked about off mic that i i think the um Uh, I don't want to dive into this discussion quite yet, but the distinction between Western RPGs and JRPGs is somewhat overstated, but maybe that'll come up in our discussion. So Ethan, I'm going to throw it to you for the personal stuff. Then we're going to talk about some elements we like in our best RPGs, and then we're going to get to the best RPGs. Um, totally subjective, biased, uh, you know, non-objective, um, as it, as it were. So when did you get into RPGs or realize that you were into RPGs, Ethan? Uh, so like the, half of the first five video games I played were RPGs. Uh, I started with, uh, I can't remember specifically where I started. It was all around the same time. Um, but it was essentially a mixture of mom loving Pac-Man and Galaga Mm -hmm. and dad playing, um, a game on the, well, a game on old XP and Vista and seven computers mm-hmm. it was a platform called wild tangent, mm-hmm. which basically came with all of those windows OS as, as with like as a uh, pre-installed software and you could play their games for, with free tokens and then buy them later on after you ran out of tokens. And one of those games was called fate. Mm-hmm. It was an RPG dungeon crawler that was pretty like ambitious for its time. Uh, it was procedurally generated and like it was a total, mm-hmm. it was a, it was a completely randomized 
weapon based experience. Hmm. So it was it was super it was super cool. It was basically Diablo, mm-hmm. but like a bad Diablo ripoff that was fully procedurally generated. Hmm. Um. Okay. So there was that. Well, and let's. Then yeah, and then Pokemon. So and then yeah. So let's. So you're already starting to bring up some stuff that we'll talk about. So here's what I want to do. I want to go around the circle and say one or two things that you think is important in any good RPG. And I don't want to be like you know turn-based combat versus real-time combat versus Final Fantasy combat. Like something that you think most or all RPGs that you like share, even if the systems are quite different um most of this will come out during the discussion of the top games um but i just wanted to see if you had any ideas off the top of your head of like when you start researching a game and then playing it you know usually early on with those type of games you get a sense if you're gonna like it or not so Ethan, i'll let you start one or two things that you like in your rpgs whether they're action rpgs turn-based rpgs open world closed world whatever mm-hmm. uh i would say uh the first thing is probably engagement mm-hmm uh, without, regardless of what combat system you have, whatever, regardless of what story you have, whatever, whatever you have in your game, and this goes for any game, but especially for RPGs, since RPGs are generally slower, like some of the slowest games mm-hmm. of any category. Yep, it's important that you make your game engaging. Otherwise, you're gonna lose me. Like, why would I play your 90 hour game mm-hmm. if I keep? If I keep losing myself and wanting to play something else, I'm not engaged. Could, could you, whatever. Could you give one or two sort of more specific examples of what you mean by engagement? You're talking about gameplay, story, narrative. Sure. So like, so like, it could be one or any of those things that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, if if the combat's really fun, yep. Then I want to continue to play the game because the combat is super fun and I want to play it. Mm-hmm. If the music is super good to listen to, mm-hmm. then I want to just be in the world and experience it as I listen to the serene music. Mm-hmm. If, like, like you name it, like it was one of the elements, and this is true for any video game. But like I was saying, if it since these games are ninety-hour experiences for the most part, especially JRPGs, like you really got to be invested into the world, and that means you have to make your world engaging. Mm-hmm. These, um, these action RPGs are too. I mean, right, I'm exactly. going to end up going like equal to Horizon on Mass Effect, like 120. It looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like okay. if you that's the primary thing for for me. Mm-hmm. The other big reason mm-hmm. is like what what uh, what's the story? I love these stories in RPGs. Uh, and I love stories in general, but the story has to be compelling. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like, what's the point? Like, if like it's it literally, if I'm role playing as something, I got to be invested in what I'm doing. So the story has to be good. We're gonna get more into this because most of the best RPGs on like the three lists I'm looking at are. The story is very important, whether it's good or not. It's very important and central. I, I think it's safe to say whether it's pen and paper or video games or computer games. If you don't like a good story, it, you're not going to be super into RPGs, probably. Um, but let's let's table that for when we start talking about RPGs. Um, Austin, you got you got something for us? Um, well, just to like really add on to uh, mm-hmm. like what makes a core RPG, um, okay. you know, you just need to have like a sense of progression in the game. Like uh, you're progressing as the story goes along, like you're getting stronger because uh, that's part of like the role that you're playing. You're playing as a character that's trying to like, you know, beat somebody or beat a group of people. So you need to feel like you're getting somewhere 
and then there also needs to be like you actually going places too, like exploration like that's another element yep. of rpgs that you can't really leave out because mm-hmm. i mean some games do perfectly fine with it but mm-hmm. they explore like the world and like the lore a little bit differently because i know fire emblem they don't really have any like sort of exploration kind of things but they do talk about like the the setting and like the people in there and stuff like that so you know rpg games they need some sort of mm-hmm. exploration or way to dive into the lore of the game mm-hmm. so that it makes me feel like immersed in the entire world that was created okay well i'm gonna actually i want to get into the list i'm gonna build on what you guys said because you guys brought up my my main points um so i'm just going to expand on a couple of those points and we'll jump into the games um so you said progression uh austin and we're going to talk about how progression isn't just leveling up right i mean there's plenty of games where you just level up that's not an rpg a progression includes that but it also includes story and includes new gear you know um uh, I, you know, I think the trend, and we'll talk about this in a lot of these games, isn't just boosting statistics. It's more about getting better gear, learning sk- like skill trees. Obviously, are extremely popular, um, and and that sort of thing. And uh, the exploration thing too is important because you know, a- a- as we've talked about, and we'll expand more on this. It's less about the size of the map and more about the density of stuff to do on that map, yeah. right? Um, and, uh, just as a quick aside, I started doing new game plus, which I've never done before on horizon. And I I, I knew they said that you still had to do some of the intro missions, Ethan, it's completely different. You're immediately fighting like giant dinosaurs in the intro mission. So I didn't realize in the new game plus, and that's a great feature I want to talk about maybe later is new game plus and, and how much that adds to these games. It's not just increasing difficulty and doing everything all over again, which I didn't realize. And of course the story that Ethan talked about is one of the most important things to me. And I think what's going to be interesting in our discussion is the, the, if you have, let's say you have combat, you have exploration, you have progression, you've got story and narrative. Say those are the main things. It'll be interesting to see how we weigh those on our own scales, even though we all consider all those things important, right? So here we go, guys. We're going to jump into the games. You guys are going to jump in at any point to talk about these games, introduce games that you think are better than these games or, or similar. Um, uh, just for full disclosure. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure. Um, the first list, both of the, all these are recent. Um, VG247.com, uh, which is just like an indie website, but I like their list. Uh, so I got that. I have IGN, you know, which is bullshit, but you know, they, their list is okay. It fills in some gaps, but they don't go back far enough for my tastes. That's why I like you're this other like, list. But like IGN even more later. Well, dude. God bless Google. You type in best video game RPGs of all time, and they just have a scrolling list that's like pretty, uh, pretty good, pretty good. So I'm gonna be yeah. com- I'm gonna be combining these, and so um, uh, I'm gonna skip ones that I don't know. Like I'll mention it if you guys know it. If I if none of us know it, we'll just move on. Um, so does that sound good to you? Yeah. All right. So I think what we'll do is whoever's most familiar with the particular property uh, will take the lead and then we'll comment on it. So, all right. So around number 20 on a few of these lists, we have the Divinity Original Sin series. Now, Uh, I have Divinity Original Sin 1 uh, remastered or whatever, like the special edition, and 
I like the look, but it's begging to be played on a computer. So I'm waiting for a sale to play on my computer. I need a mouse. It's just the inner. This is a problem with Witcher too. The 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 interface and the inventory management is just too much um, without computer. So I can't really speak to it. Um, either of you guys, Divinity fans? I've um I've played it once, and I have a friends group who plays it like religiously. They they go on there, you know, as an RPG game, it does a lot of like um creativity things more so uh what people have told me that it is um they compare it to a dungeons and dragons type game where you can literally just like set pieces onto the board and like create your own little stories and stuff if you wanted and then there's also like other things you can play that are on the base game also it's also announced yesterday that they're releasing uh, original sin 2 early on ps4 which makes me think they've streamlined the interface from the first one uh so i I might jump on that man between that and dragon quest i'm gonna be in a hole um my feeling is though from just playing a little guys you, you can correct me ethan and austin um is that it's sort of a return to sort of the Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights, late 90s, oh, early yeah. 2000s, yeah. where it is stat-heavy. It's sort of D&D, but it moves quickly as well. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not really plotting. Um, Ethan, have you played it much, or, or do, you, do you know much about it? Do you have any impressions of, of the Divinity series? Because I know a lot of people who really like the series. I don't know anyone who's like their favorite, but I know a lot of RPG fans who like it. Uh, I, I had no experience with the Divinity series. Okay. Uh, I, I just I just know that it was uh, Divinity Two was one of last year's most popular RPGs. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, let me get the uh, original two, uh, original Sin Two on PS, and we'll we will revisit this. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. I like that um that Baldur's Gate um yes. sort of like. Uh, so are you guys right? are you guys familiar with like the whole uh, Forbidden Realms? series of obviously well okay so it started as a sort of a darker more focused branch off of dungeons and dragons in the 80s and 90s became a popular series of books um and then became the basis for the best you know semi-modern age rpgs with baldur's gate one and two icewind dale neverwinter nights i have icewind dale 2 on my computer uh which is super fun and still actually looks great plays great um uh, austin it sounds like you're a little familiar with it you want to talk a little bit about why baldur's gate um in your impression is held up to such high uh, esteem well i think um for me i i I like played it like once like i didn't really finish the game or anything i thought it was runescape at first Mm -hmm. and i was like thoroughly confused but the game was like actually really cool like you know um for the time the graphics they they ha- i mean they haven't aged very well but they're still very good for what the it remastered was. the remastered uh icewind dale which came at, i believe after Baldur's gate 2 and is a little bit more focused it's a little bit more accessible and the remastered version looks great because it's super colorful the sprites are small. It's an isometric view, so right. it brings it, it back to the sort of ultimate days of dungeon crawling. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, it, it really simulates 
you guys ever played like hero quest or uh, uh descent or like you know the dungeon crawling games you know where you're it's like a board game mixed with an rpg and the dungeon master is like putting out <laughs> monsters and you're like discovering tombs like that's basically what they converted it to in, in in the game yeah. it works really well um again it's very stat heavy um but once you get past that i find it's a it, it's a fun experience uh ethan anything to add there Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, it's pretty much everyone. It's, everyone you guys yeah. pretty much said it all. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I think. A, sorry. I, I I think what's also interesting about it is it they were great RPGs in a time as we said earlier when shooters and action games were really taking over, and it was also mm-hmm. the last generation of where it was clear that computers like from the 80s through the early 2000s computers were really the only place to get great rpgs and obviously it's changed since then so i think that was sort of the last generation of you need a computer to get good rpgs um so there's a little bit of history there so okay might and magic do you guys know anything about might and magic ultima or wizardry the three most popular series in 80s and 90s i think the only might and magic game i've played was like this um, they were just like shooting spells across the screen at each other or something like that. I'm oh, sure. the strategy game, Heroes of Might and Magic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were basically Western RPGs, but there were huge open worlds and you can do things in, you know, in any order you wanted to essentially. Um, you know, for a long time it was block movement, you know, straight back left right kind of thing you move the enemy moves you move the enemy moves and then it started getting 360 movement and so forth over time um it it was very standard by today's uh um uh standards i guess it it was very very normal by today's stand uh, unremarkable by today's standards but at the time getting a hundred hour rpg where you really were discovering the exploration stuff and and doing the progression uh was extremely addictive um and so i I grew up on that stuff then they started focusing more narrative uh adapting books you know again like Baldur's gate and games like betrayal at crondor uh, which won a lot of awards, um, and that's when I think it's safe to say narrative in general has really uh, come to the forefront. Um, so, all right, let's get moving to some more modern stuff. How familiar are you guys with the Deus Ex series? Uh, I've only played Deus Ex. I think it's um, Maki. Is it Maki? Deus. And kind of edit or I played yeah. Uh, What's it yeah, De- mankind. Why am I saying my Deus Ex Mankind? Yeah, that one. I think I played that one like once. That's about it. So I don't really know much about the game. So the the original Deus Ex is considered one of the best games um, mm-hmm. of all time, specifically because it was the first really great successful action role playing mixed with a first person shooter and stealth. And in the earlier games, you could basically kill nobody if you wanted to um so it's a lot of stealth there's a lot of like secret discovery it's partial open world like dragon age was we're going to get to which was actually great it, it, you know it encouraged you to explore tight spaces and find secrets and stuff like that i think the uh, uh consensus is they've gotten worse over the years i, I really liked Deus Ex human revolution on uh the ps3 but i haven't played the more uh, recent ones, um, but they were developed by Ion Storm. Ethan, do you know who Ion Storm was? 
Uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory. So when John Romero got kicked out of id Software, he started mm-hmm. Ion Storm, and Deus Ex okay. was the giant success. But there was another okay. game that is going to go down in history as the biggest flop in terms of hype ever called Daikatana. Mm-hmm. which was an oh. obsession of John Romero where he was combining first-person shooters with magic and fantasy settings and time travel, and he got blown away by Quake, Half-Life, and everything else um, and basically ruined his career. But Deus Ex did come out of that, um, and if you ever read Masters of Doom, they, they talk about that a little bit. So, um, all right, let's keep moving. Let's get some more modern here. Um, all right, Dragon Age. Uh, this list has Dragon Age Origins 15, uh, as you know, I agree strongly that Dragon Age Origins is easily the best game uh, and I as, have, of Dragon as, Age. As, go, go ahead. Yeah. And Ethan, I, this might be heresy, but Mass Effect Andromeda is a much better Bioware game than uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, in my opinion. At launch or at... No, at right now. At, oh, at right now. As of right now. As of right now. Okay. I can tell you right now that most of these games probably are rated based on the fact that of when they were released, not as they are currently. Um, well, I no, mean, no, keep in mind. I mean, the next one's earthbound, which is super Nintendo. So it, it's how it's aged over time. So that too. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but most of these games didn't have updates mm-hmm. like that. And so mass effect and drama would never. Okay. But let's, talk, but let's talk. But, but yeah, yes. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, let's talk about what dragon age brought to the table. Right. Dragon Age brought to the table what Mass Effect, and we'll get to Mass Effect. It brought the fantasy setting to Mass Effect type stuff, which is you could still get 50 hours out of it, but it was never a true open world. You mostly fast traveled between places, but you constantly were being sidetracked for battles or getting caught in like dream world. So like there was always tons of stuff to do in the cities and castles were giant and the dungeons were humongous. Um, but, but it wasn't a, a total open world, but it helped really concentrate the narrative. You could build your party any way you want to, but it also pioneered the sort of, what I consider a, a way superior version of what Final Fantasy has tried to do with combining turn-based and real-time combat, where you can do it real-time, you can control all the different people in your party, or you can stop things, do it more tactically and strategically. Now, Final Fantasy fifteen, which I've been playing some of, is trying to integrate some of this. Um, have you guys played any of the Dragon Age games? I know, Ethan, you've played Inquisition, so why don't we start there? Yeah, um... Inquisition was a, a great standalone title, especially as someone who never had touched a Dragon Age game before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Inquisition was the one that implemented most of the open world features that was lacking from a Dragon Age game. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the heck out of it. It won Game of the Year probably undeservedly because no other game could have fit. No, no other game was going to get Game of the Year that year. Right. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it, and it definitely, and from, from what I hear, that Origins is the best ser- uh, game in the series, mm-hmm. uh, I, would, I would probably concur that Origins deserves its spot where it is, yeah. And the main complaint about Inquisition was too many fetch quests and too much empty territory, which proves they should have stuck to the partial yeah. open world scenario, in my opinion. And and as someone who is listening to Blood, Sweat, and Pixels right now, mm-hmm. I heard the full story of it of its design, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's really interesting to listen mm-hmm. to what Bioware had to go through with making Inquisition. So, 
Austin, and, and, and Origins, because it covers Origins in its so uh, let's, story. You know well. what? Let's just get the Bioware discussion going, right? So, uh, Bi- Bioware is known for the following things. Correct me if I'm, if I'm getting these wrong, or they're too generalized, or uh, add stuff. Okay. All right. One, like with Blizzard early on, major focus on storytelling um, and characters. Doesn't always work, but Mass Effect and Dragon Age, major focus on big epic story arcs. Uh, obviously, starting with Knights of the Old Republic, Bioware pioneered the, uh, you know, the morality um, uh, dialogue tree, you know, to varying effects. Um, uh, you know, like one of the cool things about the earlier Mass Effect games is like, even though you had to basically go good or, you know, anti-hero, borderline evil, it did actually result in different endings and different things happening um, and, and so forth. Uh, they do tend to be buggy. I wouldn't say it's as buggy as some other companies, but they, it, they definitely are known for being buggy. Even Dragon Age Origins had some some glitchiness. Uh, Dragon Age 2 was very glitchy. Um, Eth, w- uh, did you find that on the computer, uh, the, the Inquisition, for the most part, ran pretty well yeah definitely mm-hmm. um and i, I know i know yeah. when you played it on your ps3 it was um how do i say underwhelming yeah i'm, I'm afraid to play it on the ps4 to be honest with you um and obviously you know that game along with you know games like uh tomb raider and the games where they developed for ps3 ps4 both xboxes computer uh, were all kind of a mess right because they're developing for all sorts of platforms so i wonder if that was that was part of it too so uh have you ever checked out knights of old republic it still holds up pretty well i haven't i've, I've been meaning to i mean i've been meaning to do um mm-hmm. a trip through knights of the old republic and both force mm-hmm. awakens games so or, uh well force awakening uh whatever called yeah, yeah yeah uh force unleashed Force Unleashed. Yeah. Um, so, uh, why did you end up playing Inquisition, and what has kept you away from you know Mass Effect and some of those games? Uh, so, what made me play Inquisition was I was looking for a new uh, a new good RPG to play. Um, I had heard it got Game of the Year. Uh, I was interested. I, w- I was just kind of like interested in it, and I had seen a bunch of trailers for it. I was also 14 year old with $50 and I needed to spend it on something. So mm-hmm. wow. uh, I ended up buying it and uh, that was, that was that. Mm-hmm. Nice. But I'm just, is there anything about the reputation of Bioware, the stress on like relationships and romance that maybe doesn't quite appeal to you? No, I think, uh, I think as I had played Skyrim, I was interested in like the whole decision thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Although at the time I didn't I didn't give a damn or know who Bioware was, mm-hmm. um, I was definitely I was definitely like super on board with like the decisions thing. One of the things in Inquisition that was definitely different, as I understand it from the series, mm-hmm. was the amount of decision making you could make in like as a world on like a world scale because mm-hmm. they were very interested in making Inquisition different from mm-hmm. uh, the other games on a worldly scale because you as the Inquisitor were making these huge political decisions. And so what you decided and chose said affected not only your allies, but like, like story, like huge chunks of the story more so than I understand than, than like in mass effect, especially with mass effect three, where it was like 
no matter what you did, end up the same ending. Yeah, so. Mass Effect Andromeda integrates an agent system, but it's like you don't have to spend much time doing it. You just send them out, you train them up, but it's not nearly as comprehensive, uh, which I actually like um, because I felt like that would slow down the action. Um, in Andromeda, I'm not saying it did in Inquisition, um, but I think they took some of that and just simplified it and streamlined it in Andromeda. And yeah, dude, part of what's making me appreciate Andromeda is I decided to, I, I'm giving away, I'm, I sold my PS3 to a buddy of mine because he ha- doesn't even have a blu-ray player uh, but uh before i said it to him i was like all right i want to go back and play a couple games um and so i wanted to go through the arkham games a little bit um and specifically mass effect 3 and god is it buggy slow weak story i mean andromeda is is a lot better but i'm gonna save that for the discussion later um so my thoughts about that have changed over time so okay guys he- here's what i'm thinking there's some classic games like earthbound chrono trigger secret of mana and so forth but i think we should maybe do a separate podcast about classic old school 8 16 bit games so we can get into more modern stuff how does that sound that's fine all right ethan this one's coming straight at you i got two that are that are ranked sort of in the top 10 to 15 okay okay bloodborne and persona 5 uh bloodborne's an obvious one Bloodborne took the game of Dark Souls and then throw it at a mainstream audience mm-hmm. as a PS4 early on launch title. Mm-hmm. Not not uh, not at launch, but soon after, relatively speaking, of the PS4, mm-hmm. and it's just a fantastic game all around. Like it, it, it it's different from Dark Souls enough that make to makes it appealing, but the the pace of the game is fast enough, is so much faster than um, Dark Souls 1 and 2 that it it feels so much better, especially for console players. Sure. Um, to really get people invested into it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't into the Blood Soul series, the, the, the Dark Bloodborne Dark Souls Bloodborne series mm-hmm. and genre at the time of its launch, so I wasn't there for the hype. But a lot of people, like like a good friend of mine and other people I know, were like super into it. Um, Persona Five, however, <laughs> um, I could definitely say I don't know if. So here's the thing: there's oh, a lot of things on Hold this on. list. Hold on, Ethan. Yeah, go ahead. I want you to lay out the differences here because these are vastly different games. Persona Five, on the surface, if you gave it to someone who's only roughly. Uh, uh, familiar with RPGs would immediately agree that that's an RPG. Uh, Bloodborne is on the border, and this is going to form the discussion of the action RPG genre and, and where it's more action than RPG and so forth. So you love both of those games. You especially love Persona 5. So uh, can you just talk a little bit about the different similarities and differences and the reason I think you like Persona 5 better, even though you love Bloodborne? Well, I... I like better because I've never even I've never beaten a Souls game besides Dark Souls Three. Mm. Like I haven't, um, and that was loosely beating the game. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot a lot of fans of the Souls series would say I've never even beaten, much less beaten half of a Souls game. Mm-hmm. But um, the if we're, if you're looking at both of those games, the Dark Souls series is a 3D open world uh, 
kind of open world, loosely open world, um, that is ball-crushingly hard and forces you to take part on a story where you explore the world and uh, complete an objective to save the world. Um, I'm not going to spoil much or talk about it because it's so convoluted and uh, barely understandable by the people who liked the series in the first place that as Jesse well experienced. I, I, you ever you're dive into Dark Souls, Jesse? Oh, Bloodborne? Oh, oh feel, feel free to rip me. I, I, I admit I, I couldn't take it. No one could under like not, not even you play it, just like you like reading the lore and like Dark Souls and whatnot. Like yeah. in all of the Souls games, like including Bloodborne. Here, like, here's my thing. The, 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 yeah, sto- the story is out there for people to, to experience. Yeah. Versus Persona. Yep. Wait, wait. Can I just not, let me just say something ahead. about Bloodborne, and then I want you to go off yeah, on Persona because I didn't love Persona, but I so appreciated it, and I love that the games like that are being made. Um, uh, my my thing about Persona Five, and I heard this. Um, uh, what's her face who used to work for IGN? The Australian chick who's now. I know who you're talking about. Um, Alana. Yeah. Um, She's great. She used to be on the co-optional podcast. Lana Pierce. Um, uh, she actually just started working for Noclip, who does all those awesome documentaries about like the Witcher team and the Horizon team and the Bethesda projects and blah, 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 blah. Anyways, um, she brought up a point that I've been saying, which is if I had a Switch, I could get Persona 5 on Switch, I would play it nonstop. It was just, it, it felt perfect for a, a high-end portable system for me. Mm-hmm. But really quickly about Bloodborne, if I could reduce the difficulty by 25%, but most importantly, increase my patience by 25%, which is asking a lot, I think I could really make a run at it. Maybe not beat it, but some combination of a slightly less difficult and slightly me having more patience. So I, 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 it's, that's fully on me. So, mm-hmm. um, but but, but that, yeah. that, that's one of the things that's most alluring about those games sure. is the fact that there is no, like, like the difficulty like is self-manifest within our brains and whether you're good enough to play the games or not, like your own skill level, the game, the game is artificially difficult based on the, how the game is made. Mm-hmm. There's no, like there's no sense of difficulty. It's just, this is the game. Um, mm-hmm. which is, which is totally surreal and different from most other games, which is why I feel like people are intimidated when it comes to dark souls. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's just, Mm-hmm. that's just that but um but really quickly vers- really quickly yep. even though there are rpg elements to bloodborne the majority of the skill is you know is twitch reflex stuff you know let's be honest so y- you have to have that drive and you have that you I, have that skill and that drive i would i would highly argue that the soul series is the most complicated rhythm battle battler mm-hmm. in the world yes yep yeah <laughs> I can see that. It's like a bullet like, hell it, without the bullets. It's 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 understand it's understanding what to press when to press it and it, I would I would actually argue that what uh, like the Soul series is like is the perfect fighting game uh, tr- simulator because it teaches you not to button mash. Oh yeah, because if you bu- if you button mash, uh huh, you're you're gonna you're gonna lose you're real punished. fast. You're gonna get punished for it. real fast. Yep. Um. So, and, and I, I would actually say the whole Soul series is definitely an RPG, like hundred percent, just based on the world. Uh-huh. But we, but we don't talk about Demon Souls. Yeah, we don't. We, we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, 
or that mech game that they made. Um, All right, well, uh, let's, let's, it, so, so when you look yeah. at the Soul series versus with mm-hmm. the Persona, which is a yeah, turn-based talk, combat. Okay, let's talk about Persona. Anime RPG. Let's talk about Persona because it perfectly represents, um, I believe, a melding of what's great about old RPGs, but also some of the experimentation of newer RPGs. So just talk a little bit about the game for our listeners who may have heard of it, but it, you know, it it's, hasn't until recently been super popular in the West. So uh, t- mm-hmm. take a couple minutes to talk about it. Sure. So Persona is a subset of the 10 Shimigami series, which is another whole can of worms for a JRPG. Um, and it basically takes place uh, in whatever game you're taking place, like whatever game you're in, is in a Japanese city, sure. and you're a high school student, and you're living a normal high school life until something happens, and you get supernatural persona powers, and you have to save the world from from whatever's going on. For Persona Four, it was preventing small town murders by jumping into TVs. In Persona Five, it's going into corrupt adults' hearts into these massive dungeons and uh, basically uh, stealing their heart and making them confess all of their crimes. Hmm. Um, they are... It, it's a super niche series up until Persona 5 came out, which basically, like, if you look at the sales charts, mm-hmm. Persona 5 is almost, like, 40% more popular mm-hmm. in sales than Persona 4 was. So, let me, um, let me, hone, let me hone some specifics here. So... What makes it sort like very much a JRPG, but what makes it distinct from other RPGs, in your opinion and experience? The best way I can describe its feeling is that it basically feels like a Pokemon dungeon crawler, but it's very adult themed. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's how it feels to me, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes it, which, and also, and it's also a life simulator um so it, it it mixes a lot of really niche categories that you really wouldn't find in other games or if you do find them in other games they're not really hashed out for example fire emblem in awakening and the games forward from that had the really weird like party conversation feature where you would talk to each other so you the, the you would have certain party members talk to each other so that they could then boost their uh, relationship with each other mm-hmm. and then that in turn when they were near each other would boost their stats mm-hmm. um, in certain cases in the awakening games and onward it would also like lead to like the children feature and blah 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 mm-hmm. um, can you what can you talk about what life simulator means a little bit uh dating simulator skills like like honing your skills no, i i know what like it that. is but to the audience like sure so yeah. so because it's it, it, there, i actually really like that i didn't think i was going to i actually really like that component of it uh there's two the, the, the way i look at persona 5 which is the only one game in the series that i've played fully uh there's two halves of the game there's the first half where you are pretending to be a high school student and you are living a high schooler's life in the middle of tokyo Mm-hmm. And then there's the other half where there's the video game dungeon crawler uh, combat. It's a, it's it's the video game part of the game. But specifically, when we're talking about the life simulator stuff, in the normal world, you are 
going around cultivating your uh, friendships with your friends or with other people so that you can boost your stats to uh, give you advantages in battle or out of battle or to give you better crafting or whatever whatever you have. Um, but it it the uh, what I mean by life simulator is that when you are when you are going out to get these buffs because that's the reward for doing these things, you are progressively playing the storylines with all of these characters. Hmm. And so you are basically spending your life. It's a life simulator because you are, oh, I'm studying, so my knowledge went up. Oh, I'm, oh, I helped this guy. He's going to give me a discount so I don't have to buy as expensive items. Stuff like that. Hmm. But you're progressively, like, helping these people and you're playing and you're playing life, basically. Hmm. Um, Austin, you familiar with Persona or any similar games? Um, no, I haven't played Persona most because I was away from uh, PlayStation while the Persona games are like you know, popular and stuff like that. Mm. I do, I do plan on playing Persona Five soon. Uh, I just have to get the game. Um, but yeah, I, I just haven't been gotcha. in that realm of uh, RPG game yet. <laughs> He's too busy playing Xenoblade now. He can't do that. He can't. He's overcommitting. All right. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to start going thematically here. All right. So let's stay in the JRPG category. All right. Before I go more recent, have you guys played some of the older Chrono Trigger-esque type games? Yeah. I have. All right. I played Earthbound for five minutes. Yeah. I know, um, Austin, you're you're into this. Do you want to talk about some, some classic old school you could be remastered or re-released or gone you know a lot of that came to the ds and stuff like that you've one or two or three that you like to talk about um and also the big one well sorry and as as you do so maybe talk a little bit about what what makes a jrpg in your experience all right um so the big one that i like to talk about a lot is chrono trigger um mostly because like you know at the beginning it's a little bit linear but then as the um, time travel uh, mechanic like, like comes out and stuff, it becomes like a really like um, basically you can go and do as much as you can in that system. Like it's really cool what they do. Like you see the outcomes of certain things in the future, go back to the past and stuff like that. Like the time travel was really cool. Um, it it was like one of the first like RPG games that I like was exposed to mostly because. Um, I just remember it being um, on Super Nintendo at my uncle's hat or something like that. Um, another one of that era, it would probably be like Final Fantasy three. That's a good one right there. That's a really good, like, uh, just that style. Not like into like the 16-bit graph, 8-bit graphics and stuff like that. Hmm. But w- when you move into like 3D stuff, that's when you start looking at like Final Fantasy seven. And stuff like that, but I usually talk about Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy three. Okay, talk about those games. What makes those games? I, I think many, most JRPG fans would have that. It's it's some order in the top five or ten, I think, of classic JRPGs. So start start with either one, or you can just compare them together. What makes them so great? I have I've played some of Chrono Trigger and I played some of, of Final Fantasy three. I don't think I beat either. So it's been a while. So go ahead. Yeah. Um. Well. The one big thing about uh, those two games are like the turn-based combat. How it's like the vanilla um, RPG format for ga- like uh, fighting in the video game. Um, like 
you know, it's just like there's uh, physical attacks, then there's like the items, and then there's like spells you cast and stuff like that. That that stuff, um, what, just like having to think about and strategize everything. That's one thing that I really liked. Um, you know, the way that um, they created the atmosphere, I like. I really like Chrono Trigger's music a lot, and like for for its time too. Like they had like a lot of places you could explore in there, and like um. Uh, yeah, there's just like different um, <laughs> aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Like the the art was really good in there, and then like the way they like relate information to you, and like uh, this dialogue also. And you know, uh, I think the game turned out to be like what thirty two megabits on the cartridge or something like that, and they still were able to give like these really detailed like. Um, portraits basically of like the the area around you and um you know there's there's like certain things that like looked scary and then there's also things that you know like looked like hopeful and happy and stuff like that like i know like in the dark areas or like you're going to like a castle or something and you'll see like uh i don't know since like it's like a futuristic theme you see like really like big um like castles and stuff and then you see like uh ships and things of that nature uh yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that in the game that like shows you and tries to really put you a part of like chrono trigger like the lore and stuff like that that's the sense of exploration that i was talking about earlier again and uh yeah, it, it just does a really good job at like being an rpg with like the original elements that rpg like this is before like all the crazy bells and whistles of like open world and stuff like that came out so this was just like one of the og guys like do you look at um this game you look at it as like one of the guys he's i guess you could say he's like the bill russell of uh rpgs because like (laughs) he's he's so far he's like pretty old but like you know everybody looks at it like wow this guy plays like it plays well like tailored to like how you know uh, rpg games supposed to play similar to how like bill russell plays basketball like really well because he's really like yeah (laughs) so um this will be i don't want to talk about octopath yet eth because it's going to come up in the next segment um but the connection is the way in which some 16-bit games have aged so well and even though chrono trigger obviously looks like it's from the early 90s it's aged really well um let me throw it to you first austin and ethan you can respond uh, I guess specifically about Chrono Trigger and the early Final Fantasy games. What is it aesthetically and or with gameplay that makes them hold up so well? Because I know tons of people who still play Chrono Trigger. Uh, Austin, thoughts? Well, just about, you know, the charm of having something that's like in that era of games. It was like, uh, there's nothing really fancy about it or overcomplicated. It's just like, here is our game. We These sprites are just created by us and with the the tools that we had and there's not like anything else restricting what they can show off because like um i'm sure if chrono trigger was made today it'd be a lot more different than what the game is because uh you know there might be action rpg elements in there and might not be you know sprites and stuff it might actually be like cell shaded 3d models um but the game for what um what it already was it was just like you know, this is 
the blueprint for a good RPG game because it has like you know almost everything that you could add like you would need in an RPG game that's good. What um one thing that's interesting about Chrono Trigger is it's a game that's loved by people who love Squeenix JRPGs, but it's also a game that I know people who don't play a lot of Final Fantasy like or have played a lot of Chrono Trigger. What makes it different from Final Fantasy and some of the other Squeenix games that people might be more familiar with? Mm, I I would say that uh you know the game isn't like linear and like has one set determined way to play it. Like there there's a lot of room for like uh being a sandbox linear game, I guess you could say cuz like uh you can go about the side quest however you want you can go about the time travel however you want and um it, it's just like the the story gets you in to the game and there's like incentives to com- like completing the story but it's not like um oh yeah you got to do this in order to move anywhere around here like you can go about the game in any way with the time travel um mechanic so Ethan, i think that's what oh, sorry side yeah. Uh, Ethan, I was just going to throw it to you. Uh, any old school JRPGs that you uh, have enjoyed in the past? Um, I would say some of the earlier Fire Emblems. Mm. As because, because of, and this was very much a product of the time, but this is also very much a product of the fact that many of the early Fire Emblems were nowhere near as appealing as Awakening. Mm-hmm. They very much felt like much more JRPG-like. Because, and they still are JRPGs, but they're much more meta now, so it takes away a little bit of the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I played Sacred Stones, which is a very niche and not very well popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably one of the least popular, actually, of the Fire Emblem games. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was one of my first introduction. It, it was actually my first introduction to Fire Emblem. And so... Uh, being the game it was at the time in the moment, uh, it was very it, it, it was it was just very enlightening for me to play. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing more than that, though. I would say it didn't really transcend anything, uh, as really the first Fire to transcend anything would be Awakening. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also like you just have to be in a certain state of mind at a certain point to just want to grind, you know. A hundred percent, and 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 for those early Fire Emblem games, like the amount of grinding that's in Awakening pales in comparison to the amount of grinding you really have to do in the earlier games. Because I've never beaten Sacred Stones because all of my characters died because there was no casual mode. Mm-hmm. Like you, your characters died, they were dead. Mm-hmm. Like there was no coming back from that, and so the grinding was real in that game, and I still have never beaten it. And but the difference between Awakening and and the games that came afterwards, other than them being not as good, is in Awakening you had a lot of optional combat to level up, but you really wanted to because it was so fun and the characters were great. Whereas mm-hmm. the well the character and the story were worse in the newer games, but you didn't even have that many chances to explore the world like it's not an open world it's still a tactics you know rpg strategy game but you could do a lot of stuff optionally you know in the newer games it's like you're building castles and having intimate moments with your partner it's like so fucking stupid um uh hopefully hopefully free houses capitalizes on awakening and everything that was good about 
uh, Valencia and then just like mm-hmm. button mashes it to all hell. All right, so here's what we're going to do because I want to move on to the next topic, and this will be an ongoing discussion. I'm going to read you the five or seven that most are agreed upon are towards the top. You guys can pick one or two, talk about them, see if they belong there or not, and then if you have any that we haven't mentioned, you can bring them in. Can, can I make a quick prediction? Mm-hmm. Skyrim's in the top three guaranteed. Yeah, it's pretty much number one everywhere. Yes. <laughs> so here they are in well, a little bit out of order. Fallout 3 or New Vegas, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. World of yep. Warcraft, just because you kind of have to, you know? All right. I've seen, I would lead super yeah. harder on the MMO for that one, but yeah, it's pretty much. Final Fantasy 7 is the popular choice, but hardcore RPG fans I know say Final Fantasy 6. Yeah, I can see why they say that. Um, so, some combination of Final Fantasy 6... Seven, nine shows up on some list. Uh, Mass Effect 2. I mean, I think Mass Effect 2, in terms of what it does, it does it the best of any of those type of games, even better than Dragon Age Origins. Um, but you have to like over-the-shoulder shooting, you know? So that's part of the equation there. Um, Chrono Trigger, Witcher. Uh, some people specifically have Witcher 3. Some just say the Witcher series. I think it's, it's pretty much agreed upon Witcher 3 is, is the one, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, like, and then I have um, Breath of the Wild on some of the lists. Um, actually, one of the lists has Skyrim 2 and Witcher 3 1, Zelda 3, Mass Effect 4, Baldur's Gate 5, Warcraft 6, Fallout 7, Diablo 8, Bloodborne 9. No Ocarina of Time? What's that? No Ocarina of Time anywhere? Mm-mm. That's interesting. Because I don't think it's... It's not really an RPG. Yeah, it's an adventure. It's just a 3D version of the old school Zelda adventure games, I think. Yeah. It's not really an RPG the way Breath of the Wild could... Okay. Okay. I see if you're classifying them differently. I wouldn't classify... I would still classify Ocarina of Time as an RPG, but yes, Mm -hmm. if this list is going by that, yeah. Now, I know some people who say (laughs) Elder Scrolls Oblivion is better than Skyrim. Austin, I'm going to throw this to you. (laughs) You agree with that? I agree with that. That's why? why. Well, for me, Oblivion was just like there's not like a lot of stuff that's trying to like push into my face. I guess you could say because like they're trying to show off like the new engine a lot. Like there was a lot more. I feel like there's more content in Oblivion, and the DLC in Oblivion was much better. And like um, I did enjoy like. Uh, let's see old school dark brotherhood quests mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. that was stuff was really good like the quest lines that they had like the side quests were really good in oblivion and i feel like skyrim was just like a watered down version of it kind of because like some areas had like you know some of the same quests i i i don't, I don't it's just how i i feel like i had a much more enjoyable time with Oblivion than I did with Skyrim. Well, actually, I was going to, because I want to close this out, I want you to talk about Pokemon and what makes it different, what makes an RPG, but what makes it different from other RPGs. For Pokemon at the time, so so when Pokemon launched, Pokemon was the first RPG where you had 151 playable characters, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. That's pretty like, good. No, no, like, no RPG compared to that in any scale mm-hmm. that's the first thing um i think it was it, it's it's the it's the very um it's the very I, i'm gonna say hero's journey 
but it's not the it, it Pokemon doesn't really fully resemble the hero's journey. Uh, it's the very hero's journey esque tale that each Pokemon game tells that really like digs me into it. Hmm. Um, where you start off as a young ten year old kid, and then you make your and then you go out on an adventure and make your way to the top, hmm. um, and then return back to home yeah. at the at the at the end of the game. I think it's safe to say um, that progression is what's mostly brilliant about it in addictive yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and and where and how pokemon iterated itself over the years and you can see this throughout like just the game design by looking at pokemon games like like um uh how do i say expertly uh because if you look at it like they 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 ended up saying the second generation of games were going to be like the last games and then there was some design, there was some corporate decision where they said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna restart with the third generation, and then move on from there." And then that's what they did. Um, hmm. And what took it what took it to bigger heights was starting in Gen three uh, with the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. They with, with the with the Game Boy specifically the Game Boy Advance, which had full color, mm-hmm. uh, far more so than the previous generation had. They they started to really implement competitive battling. Mm-hmm. And from there, where, because that's where there was that era of Pokemon that anyone who grew up playing Pokemon hit the, oh, I'm too old to be playing Nintendo games phase, left, and then coming out of high school, picked up the newer games and still enjoy it today. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's where that that's where a lot of people get their stride, just enjoying playing the game from a child. There really is like like if I had to be honest with you, and you you borrowed some like my one of my Pokemon games and played it, like I don't think anyone who didn't play Pokemon under the age of fifteen to start out would not enjoy Pokemon today in any regard. Like I, there's very few people who I think could get an enjoyment out of Pokemon mm-hmm. if they had not played it when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. It really is one of those things where you had rose-colored glasses and you just enjoy the hell out of it every time you play it. But mm-hmm. it, it's just one of those things mm-hmm. that happens to have touched a billion people. Literally, because a billion people, they, they have like the statistics for this, like a billion people who know what Pokemon is. So... So if you guys are cool, I have a great bridge from what Ethan just said into what we're playing, but also games coming out. Um, Because I read an article, I think I sent to you, about um, uh, Dragon Quest XI and why it might might succeed and why it might fail. And they postulate, and I think this is very true, that the problem with Dragon Quest in the West and why it hasn't caught on is that it's very cartoonish in terms of the look and even a little cheesy in terms of the dialogue, but the systems themselves are pretty complicated at times and the combat can be extremely challenging. So it's too hard for kids, but it seems too kiddy on the surface for adults. Now that's why the DS was the way for me to get into Dragon Quest because, you know, when you're playing a DS on the go, like a cute little game like that where you're just leveling up, leveling up and exploring around occasionally, blah, 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 close it, play it some more is like the perfect way to do it. Now that there's major graphical upgrades, they're definitely definitely retaining the bright colorful uh you know look uh, overall but they're definitely you know tight tightening it up and expanding it a bit in 11 
I think it will appeal more. I'm just very interested to see the fact that it's mostly lived on portable devices, Ethan and Austin, over the last however many years in the West. The Japanese don't have this problem as much. Be very interesting to see how a major Dragon Quest release. You know, let's be honest, after Persona did really well, after Monster Hunter's done really well, a lot of traditional games in terms of being popular in Japan, it'd be interesting to see whether Dragon Quest XI um, can make that bridge. Um, Ethan, you first. Any, any thoughts about that? Or, or uh, any thoughts specifically about Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest XI, or just in general about you know why some JRPGs, JRPGs translate and some don't and you can bring in octopath you can bring in persona whatever sure i think um i think in persona's favor Mm -hmm. was the fact that there was nothing else that had come out at the time Mm -hmm. and so for people who watch um who, who look for new video games like a hawk and the game just came out at the right time it happened to transcend uh natural natural pop culture barriers um, as far as whether or not Dragon Quest XI will succeed, will, will, will succeed, I think it really just depends on how, like how they how they set it up, uh, like everything going into it. Will it release with other competitors? Will it like what's the marketing going into it? Like so, what we've seen, and like besides Persona, if we want to look at like other big things popping out, Monster Hunter is a crucial, crucial, crucial factor. Like, like another one that had like the right things going into it. It had the right amount of hype going into it, and the, the right amount of marketing to push that to make it to make it like stand out, and to have a lot of people like try it out when it came out as well as the fact that no other games were coming out at the same time so that people could play it and really enjoy it, convince others to get into it. As well as the fact that that like monster hunter world by a lot of people consider it to be one of the most casual monster hunters out to ever come out. Hmm. So there, there are, there's a lot of factors that would go into it and if they can meet, some of those standards, if not all of them, they'll they'll capture they'll mm-hmm. they'll, they'll capture a huge audience. Hmm. Austin, because pe- pe- gamers oh, are impulsive. Game, gamers will just buy whatever mm-hmm. if if they if they see it's good. If someone's streaming it, if like they've seen good reviews, if whatever, people will buy it if they're bored. Like yeah. they'll get it. Fair enough. Austin, response. Um. I don't really have much to say mm-hmm. about it. Well, let's just get the let's just get the discussion going about sort of the the somewhat rebirth of JRPGs. Um, the question is, did they ever die? But we definitely are seeing them now on the console coming. I mean, even Persona Four is you know it, it, it was a PS what P or P Vita game. It was a PS2 yeah. and then it became PS Vita. Yeah. Right. So a lot of these have really succeeded on portables, and now we're finally getting them on, on the console. So so where do you yeah. see the trajectory, uh, Austin? Well, JRPGs. Um, I would say that like they did kind of die because they were like most of the rpg games that were good were like last of the dying breed because most of them were switching to this like action oriented rpg game mm-hmm. um i know that uh there were games like um final fantasy um was it? let's see 13 it sort of shifted away from the turn-based combat and it turned into this other type of combat system final fantasy 12 also um 
the combat you know, system is not the problem with Final Fantasy 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Final no, I'm not saying there's a problem. There's a combat like there's a problem with it. I'm saying like they no, shifted a, yeah. they shifted around like the way that like the base formula of it. Like the combat system is just different from you know like the tradition quote unquote traditional JRPGs mm-hmm. and like um uh people didn't let that uh series die out of course but like people just strayed away from that kind of game um there's the thing about video gamers these days they have a really short like attention span and like issues well, with committing to something except the people will put 500 hours into grand theft auto zelda destiny i mean it depends i think yeah well the thing is there's a, a bunch of games that like blow up and then are dead within the next few days like you know PUBG was set a bunch of records and stuff, and now it's taken over by the Fortnite audience. Lawbreakers, like mm-hmm. yeah, that, Lawbreakers that, yeah. is just the prime example. Yep. Make a really good game, put a bunch of hype into it, and now and, you have six people. And now you have six people playing in a month. Like, <laughs> it's just a matter of keeping people interested in your type of game. Because I know, like Battle Royale is a type of game now. JRPGs was just. Like people were taking away from that audience. That's all. I think the JRPG era um, was never like uh, you know prominent as it was before back in you know like the golden age of the RPG games. Oh yeah, like it sold millions in the nineties on the Super NES. I mean, let's not. Hell yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just not as prominent as it was before. But they, if they continue to release games like Octopath or like um, just you know that Fire Emblem game is another RPG game coming out and mm-hmm. just, you know, just keep releasing these titles. Dragon S, Dragon Quest, mm-hmm. the next one in the series. That's going to be a good one too. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to bring these games back and just give them that, like, refreshing, like, the modern updates that they needed. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just make sure that they stay fresh, yep. but also keeping the core elements of the old games. All right, guys. Well, we're going to move into some games we've been playing. Uh, and then Ethan's got some quick hit news topics and we'll wrap up. So really quickly, just to tie up that discussion, guys. So we sort of hinted at and started to get the discussion going about, you know, traditional turn-based RPGs versus RPGs with an action element and then action games with an RPG element. So I'm, I'm going to give you four games uh, of which are various level of acclaim and popularity, three of which I really like. Uh, and one of which is considered one of the best games ever, and I've had trouble, and they have various levels of RPG elements and action games. So the four games I want to briefly mention are Horizon Zero Dawn, which you know I love, which is definitely an action-adventure game with some RPG elements. Uh, The Arkham games, uh, similar to that. Um, uh, Mass Effect, you know, all the Mass Effect games, but Andromeda's the same way. You know, they've increased the leveling system and there's more modifications and stuff like that. Um, But again, you do spend most of the time exploring and uh, there's actually less fighting in Andromeda than I was expecting. And I got to say, guys, uh, well, the fourth game's The Witcher, which I've had trouble getting into for reasons I've said before, which is just I've had trouble with the combat system and I think it might be better on a computer, Um, even though I know that's the best one. Now, that one's probably of those four games the most RPG, even though there is a lot of action, right? But I will say about Andromeda, 
I mean, they definitely fix the facial animations. They mostly fix the lip sync. I only have a blip every hour or two, and it's I haven't had any major game crashes. Never got stuck anywhere. The writing's good. The voice acting's good. I don't really know. I think it was because it was buggy and the optics of the bad faces, plus being released near Zelda, near Horizon, etc. Games we talk about all the time. Uh, so I know you guys haven't played Andromeda, but wouldn't you agree with me that those are some of the obvious reasons why it got lost in the shuffle? Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that I can say about games today is that bad re- like bad launching days, yeah. um, then usually stain your, like the, just like the general, like public view of the, of your game. Mm-hmm. So like, um, a lot of people ridicule, like, Andromeda for being buggy. They, uh, Assassin's Creed Unity was also another victim of that, where they just, sure. yeah, and everyone just like hated it because oh, it's really buggy and stuff like that. But you know, after yeah. a couple patches and updates, both games turned out to be really good in the long run. So it's all about like um, you know, you just gotta make sure that you bounce back from that uh, Andromeda from what i can see um it it was very promising and stuff like that it's just that those bugs in early game just really hurt it that's all what's interesting though is so you know the the one of the narratives other than some of the uh, the glaring bugs visual and otherwise early on was well they replaced the old mass effect team with the mass effect 3 multiplayer team but I gotta say, the writing and dialogue trees are as almost as good as Mass Effect 2. I'm not saying it's as good as Mass Effect 2, but the writing is excellent. So that's definitely not the problem. I think it was bad optics and being released around a lot of games that were more polished, more revolutionary, and so forth. It is beautiful. It looks fantastic. It's not quite at the Zelda or Horizon level in terms of style and color, but it does look great. It runs great. The driving, which I normally hate driving, is, is awesome. It's my least favorite part of Arkham Knight is the driving. The driving in drama is excellent. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I gave it another try. Um, but, I mean, Ethan, you, you know these things well, because you told me they shut it down a couple months ago, but they must have released a patch, like, towards the end of last year, early this year, right? Uh, I don't... Or maybe I, I it was do, just slow early past. on, and I just needed to get past the first 20 minutes. Maybe. Um... I, I, I'd have to Google yeah. it for certain. All right, well, here's uh, my point. I, I, just, I, I just want to quickly cover... Go no, ahead, go ahead. I, no, I just want to finish my point, uh, which I, I took too long to get to, as usual, because I want you talk Octopath, and we'll get some more final topics. My point is, I like my games now like Mass Effect and Horizon, where it's a smooth combat system with a really interesting story and dialogue, but some really cool RPG elements, or... A more traditional RPG like I know I didn't fall in love with Persona 5 but I- I'm sure I will play it at some point you know a more traditional turn-based combat um, actually Final Fantasy 15 at first I didn't realize that you could stop combat um, even though there's a timer, you have a good amount of time to like set up the tactical situation. Um, and so I'm actually, uh, a little bit more optimistic about it because I, I, you know, if I don't have, let's put it this way, if I don't have direct control over my action combat, whether it's Bloodborne, Witcher or Horizon or Zelda, 
I don't want indirect control. And that was the problem. One of the problems with Final Fantasy 13 with the combat system is like you're just clicking on what kinds of attacks to do. And, you know, you're clicking as much as if you were fighting, but you're not actually fighting. You know, it's I, I just don't like that middle ground. I'd rather have a straight up RPG, which I'm excited about Dragon Quest. Um, and I'm excited to hear about Octopath because that's right up my alley. I've been hearing mixed things, Ethan. I've been trying to reserve judgment because you always have an interesting um, uh uh, um, uh, perspective on it. But let me ask you this as we transition to Octopath, unless you guys have a response to what I just said. Uh, I, just want, I just want to quickly cover um, while, while, while you're both right about the, the hype window like being super tight. Oh yeah, no, sorry. They sorry, did, they, I have they, to ask they this. Did have, sorry, I have to ask this. Why does No Man's Sky get a second, third, and fourth chance in Andromeda and games like that don't? multiplayer okay, so is that why so, so, so let me well, let, let, that that was what i was actually going to go into for for one of my stories do it um well let's do I that want, i, 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 I want to quickly cover your one thing okay go um as far as far as uh review time yes for for mass effect andromeda mm-hmm. yes you guys are both right there's a, like the hype windows are like weird like when people when a lot of games come out like not a lot of time is given to review games however there was actually a, a full two-week space in between Zelda Horizon and Mass Effect Andromeda, so you can't. It, for, in this situation, you actually can't say that it got clouded in uh, loss of time. There was a full two weeks for them to play. That's not a lot. That's we talked about how a lot time, of though. a lot of gamers only buy three, four, five it's games a so year. Much, it's so much time for reviews, though. No, but so. you're Ethan. You're the one who talks about how the average gamer doesn't buy that many games. So. Horizon was like the game for the PS4. Zelda was the game for the Switch. Um, you know what I mean? Like Mass Effect just had everyone had a bad taste in their mouth from uh, um, Mass Effect 3. On top of that, though, I think people, even though Inquisition won Game of the Year by default, I think people were burned. True Bioware fans were burned by that game, and that carried over as well. The press was bad. The delays were bad. The bugs and the optics were bad. I think there's a lot working against it. I'm not excusing any of it. I'm just curious why No Man's Sky, which is the biggest hoax in history, and I know okay. it's getting better, gets a second chance, but games so, of real so, substance like Andromeda don't. So, so, so here's the thing about no Man's Sky. The first things first is this is this was like they th- this was their first redemption. They're, they they didn't do two, three, four, five redemptions. This is their first like true thing that they said they were gonna like. This is like the update that's gonna fix everything. Um. So the the, the, uh, the story of No Man's Sky is actually pretty tragic when you think about it. Like like actually like this is not just me spouting some crap. Um. So the re- so, I want everyone to like transport yourselves into the shoes of a game developer for a second. I want everybody. I want everybody to pretend to be Sean Murray for a second. Everybody. Oh hell no! Hell no! Hey, lying I'm, sack I'm, I'm, of shit. Hold on! Hold on! Hold fuck on. you, Sean Murray. Hold on. I, it, this is this is it, it, yes. Fuck. Fuck. Sean, I, like, I hate Sean Murray too. But I want, I want I want everybody to pretend to be in Sean Murray's shoes for a second. Do you know? Do you know? I'm it's sorry. 20, no, I'm sorry. 20, sorry, I'm pulling a bizzle. I do, I get to do it once per podcast. I don't care that he lied as much. The second thing I hate him for, second thing, most thing I hate him for is lying. The thing I hate him most is being a coward and not coming out until like now and finally talking a little bit that being lying is one thing because you can get caught up in your own hype and believe the lies, but to be a coward and not take responsibility is a horrible, horrible character trait. So sorry. Yeah. 
No, no, no I, 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 I agree mostly with what you're saying. He's a coward. Um, you can't argue that he's a coward. I, I'm, I, I don't think there's anything to argue. I think it's just an objective fact. Like, yeah. Um, okay. So you're welcome. The, the story of No Man's Sky is actually pretty tragic. Uh, well, I don't think we have time it, it, to go through the whole thing. So why don't you give us I, 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 give us the executive I'm, I'm, I'm summary and why you. it's still I going? I got you. Don't yeah. worry, I got you. Well, and just the you. fact that, you know, like, hold on, just the fact that, like, ahead. Schreier and his partner and Alana Pierce were on talking, talking about it for, like, 40 minutes, and they, like, people l- want to like it, you know? People really want to like No Man's Sky. It's just they fascinating. They do. I know. They do now. It's fantastic. It actually really is fantastic now. Um, it's a, It was a 6-15 to 15 man team throughout all of its development time, which is extremely small. And getting near launch, they had a flood. And the flood wiped out months of their work. Months of their work. And Sony refused to give them more money and refused to give them more time to finish the game. And so they had two choices. Choice A would be to release the game and continue to work on it for years to come until it was the project that they wanted it to be. Which they should have done. And... Which, which, which is what they did. Or choice B, which is to go bankrupt and to continue to starve until they finish the game. Which is not an option because these people have families and yes. no sane person would choose yeah. this over but, cho- choice but, B over choice A. But, so choice A is what they went with. But, and two years later, two years later, they have, they have a game okay. that's finished, that's fantastic, okay. and Stop. had a 13,000 population spike, Jesse. Okay. It's fine. And I'm going to play it someday too. But let me just point something out. We can't praise Sony for giving their amazing other studios autonomy and then criticize them for the one studio they gave autonomy and they should have been looking over the shoulder more. You know, I, I, they just, they, they gamble on these studios. No, but I'm saying is part of what makes, you know, Gorilla and Santa Monica and so forth successful is that Sony's not looking over their shoulder constantly. Well, they, well, they didn't buy Hello Games. They, they, bought, they bought the exclusivity rights I know, for and were a they, year. I understand. And so, and so yeah. the, con- the contract included them releasing the game but, on a certain day and right. they wouldn't well, let extend me, that contract. Let me just fill in the gap, which is that is true. So the half measure was a problem in the first place, obviously, but they didn't give them the resources they need. They should have invested more money the way they invested. I mean, Sony threw tons of money at horizon zero dawn you know so that's another thing but the other thing is they were like slowly distancing themselves from it behind the scenes which is like never good if you like think of politicians who like slowly distance themselves from like sexual abusers like that never ends up going well you know what i mean well, like they, they, they had they had to distance themselves otherwise they, they would have been hit with copyright they would be hit with um I know. false advertising but lawsuits. what i'm saying is bad decisions led to other bad decisions because they kept running out of any type of good decisions but go go ahead yeah yeah so and, and so and so today and i'm looking at the steam charts right now this is just steam by the way this is not console um if you look at june before the before the update it's two thousand people playing this game okay I, I, look I, at july look okay. at july i, I want 13, you to 13, tell me why people in your opinion why are people playing this game now okay ethan go ahead. In, in your opinion in a minute or two, tell me why you think people are sticking with it. And in another minute or two, tell me one or two th- major things that have changed to get people reengaged. 
the first things first is that uh, this is it, so the the idea of No Man's Sky was always like always super appealing. It's why it won most ambitious. It's why it won most appealing game. Uh, mo- most uh, whatever the word is, but most looking forward to game for 2015 for when it came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so it, everyone was so hyped for this game. A game that was the is the biggest game of all time, just by scale, and is a game all about you exploring the universe and claiming planets and defining species and building bases and exploring with your friends and all that fun jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sounds super appealing to me. It, it's a space exploration game that is in the truest yep. is is the truest form of the art that has ever come out today and you know what and this is the other thing um uh was i've been hungering for no man's sky type game and i was like i'm not gonna do it it's too much so let me try andromeda and i gotta say another thing andromeda does better than the previous mass effect games is you really feel like you're space traveling i mean the ship is bigger you, you you really you're not mining constantly you know what i mean like and th- th- there's so much t- discovery on the planets, but it's so dense with stuff to do. Like you're constantly getting running into stuff to do and you don't have to and, do it and, all. And, and that, that, that was no man's sky's biggest issue was there's nobody when there the game came yeah. out. Yeah. When, when the game came out, it was a repetitive grind. Mm-hmm. There was not this luscious, beautiful planet that you saw at e- all the E3 demos yep. and all this. And when, and now this update includes Mm-hmm. The, a the actual ability to play with your friends mm-hmm. that's the first thing you think the, ga- the game was good the game was already boring without your friends in it and you to explore with mm-hmm. but now that you can explore with your friends you can build bases you can explore the galaxy you can own a freighter ship and go to go to battle combat with other uh, enemy hostile freighters like this was the game that they pitched to us all those years ago sure. and now it like it's finally realized mm-hmm. and People, people have given it a second chance, albeit not the second chance that okay. it, it deserved in the first place because right. it launched with 200,000 people, right. and it's only half of that population. Okay. But I want to con- con- continue this conversation. I want to continue this conversation. I want to continue this conversation, but I want to get some of your other points. I, I want to push this along a little bit. So, Austin, any response to this, and then we'll move on to some final topics. Uh, no Man's Sky... Um, I don't know. That's well, all let me ask you this. Do you think games that have a disastrous launch should get a second look? And do you have any idea why some second looks are more successful than others, I guess, just from like a theoretical standpoint? Well, games do all deserve a second chance because sometimes they you can't really rate a game that took many weeks, months, years even to make in just one playthrough because like, you know, it's... Nobody really plays a game only one time. It's not like a one-time movie ticket. Like you should play a video game over a second time. Maybe I gave Skyrim three up. chances over four years. And maybe the movie got really boring. <laughs> not. <laughs> you just gotta, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. gotta try them here and there. Sometimes you and Skyrim won't get along and that's just the way the universe works, you know? <laughs> I really like Oblivion too, by the way. I meant to add that earlier. So, Ethan, tell us about Octopath. Can I, can I give you a, a like a, uh, just a lead-in question about it? 
Sure. Because um, we were talking about JRPGs and the nostalgia for JRPGs, but also 16-bit, you know, the simplicity of it. We see lots of, um, you know, like Super Meat Boy and Owl Boy or whatever that game. I mean, there's just tons of 16-bit games of different genres out there. We got a new Mega Man game coming, all sorts of stuff. Yep. So let me ask you this about Octopath. I'm going to work backwards because this is how my mind works. If it was the exact same game, but it was designed like a modern game without the retro look, would you feel any different about it? And and you'll lead into that about how you do feel about it. But but just consider that in your head as you're answering it. Like if you took the charm uh, I, of the I, I, look, I, know, out I already of it. know the I already know the answer. Okay, right? the answer is for me personally, no, mm-hmm. of course not. I'm a huge sprite work sucker. Right, I would. Okay, I would be. I would still enjoy the game just as much, but the visuals aesthetically would not please me as much. Absolutely. However, the way the game's built mm-hmm. is that it's built as a 3D sprite work game, mm-hmm. which has never been done before. So if you transition the game modern to over to modernly, it would look and feel just fine because of how it is designed. Well, actually, it has been done before. It's called the original Doom, but anyways. Not in the way we're talking about. Like, do, 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 do uh, no, that was they. They used they they rendered sprites in like two and a half D, basically. I, I know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go. I know ahead. what you're talking about. I'm talking. I'm talking about the overworld and the okay and the and the, the way the way the mm-hmm. world itself is mm-hmm. formed. So okay, I'm gonna give you some specific yeah. questions because you could talk about you, this forever. You, you yeah, but I, I wanted to answer. I know your yep, specific go ahead. question. Which no, is, no, no, I want you to finish, is, and I got two know, questions. But. but you're, I know your specific question, which I, I am finished. Your specific question was that you've heard so much mixed feedback. No, I was going to say, I was going to say, what do the critics have right and what do the critics have wrong? Those are my two questions. Okay. So we both love Jason Schreier. Like, we, we both do. We think he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a we, goofy, laid back, honest, yeah. talented, yeah. nerdy Jewish guy. His his review of I went to camp. I went to camp with like a thousand guys like him. Seriously, his his opinion of Octopath Traveler is basically equivalent of a six out of ten. Yep. I'm going to explain to you why he's wrong. Keep in mind, keep in mind. Hold on, keep in mind. His job, you have to play grindy games thirty, fifty, eighty hours. That's tough. You know, the amount yeah. that he has to do. And he, and he let, said let, that up front. He said that up front. Yeah. And, and, and Schreier is more of an investigator, not a reviewer. But um, He still plays all the games. Sure, sure. Everyone, for, for what I can tell, and I've, I've scanned Metacritic. I've scanned a lot of other sites. I've, I've, I've done some looking into this because I'm genuinely curious why people like seem to – because this is weird. A lot of games either – everyone – Everyone says it's good, and a few people say it's bad. Everyone says it's bad, and a few people say it's good. And very few games are in that middle category. Octopath is in that middle category, yeah. leaning towards good. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone who does not like the game hates it because it is a grindy, repetitive, not super story-based game that takes 90 hours and is an RPG. But what I just described is almost every single old-fashioned JRPG, which is how the game was designed to be. With the exception of the story stuff. I will agree that the story is not as strong as it possibly could be. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is a problem because you have eight stories. 
Right. So the main premise is that you have eight characters and that they all have their own stories and that you're going around completing their stories. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the the game basically tells you that continuity, the continuity of all eight of these people, e.g. a super holy religious flat out cleric and a thief who doesn't give a shit and would rather drink all day would totally party up and travel to the same places and help each other out. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the game tells you that that continuity doesn't exist and that you're, you're going to have to accept that. And that's what's happening. Hmm. So that's where the story fails outside of that. The game's fine. Everyone is pointing at, Oh, all these stories are super cliche. Yeah. And yes, they, they have they have a lot of So is every elements, Final Fantasy story. Every Final so Fantasy story. The game is literally called Final Fantasy every single title. Yeah. If, and if it's not the same, it's like Final Fantasy twelve, which is basically Star Wars. Right. Like it's like, exactly like, Star like, Wars. Like it, everyone is pointing out the fact that everyone is pointing out and I don't think this is wrong necessarily. These people aren't wrong. Everyone's pointing out the bad game design mm-hmm. of old style games of classic retro games mm-hmm. and yes all of those games if you looked at them as an expert eye and you look at all the things that the game industry has learned over all his entire life yep. you can definitely say for most part that a lot of those design features are bad design features however that's what makes this game and those games those games mm-hmm. because Ro- like, like, like yes, rose-colored glasses makes people feel great about the past and their and past. Can I be honest? Absolutely. Can I be honest? But, but a lot of people still love those games. Can I, be, can I be honest? Mm-hmm. I know why there are some defenders of the Final Fantasy 13 games, which is on paper, the look and the story are actually pretty compelling compared to the other games. But the problem is the characters are so annoying and the combat system is clunky and boring. That's that's Hope the problem. One it made me want to shoot myself. <laughs> is that the little boy? Yes. He, he is the worst. I was screaming at the television. <laughs> I might I still have I got the other games for like two bucks. I've heard that the other ones are actually better. Thirteen two? Mm-hmm. I heard thirteen yeah, two is okay. Was good too. Yeah. yeah I heard it was but what I'm saying is you know, it's interesting that the, one of the most divisive Final Fantasy games, where most people consider it trash, but some people defend it, it does have really interesting and different story elements, but people complained because they're like, there's too much new lore, it's too hard to understand. I'm like, what do you want? Like, you complain about all the games being the same. This is, you know, this is the, I hate to bring it in, this is the Star Wars problem, right? I mean, this is the, we want it to feel like the original trilogy, but not Han Solo, and that's too close to the original trilogy, you know what I mean? Like Jesse, Jesse, I think you've talked about the Star Wars problem so much that you have become part of the Star Wars problem. Well, I like talking about it with you guys because you appreciate no, I'm, I'm, some I'm of the movies. No, no, I, look, 
I, I, look, I obviously do a lot of Star Wars covers. I do love Star Wars. It is part of the cultural zeitgeist, and I think it does reflect cultural things. And so if I can work in other pop culture to video games, because uh, I can tell you guys, uh, this is probably in some ways the nerdiest podcast in terms of my listener base. Uh, so I like to work in some pop culture stuff. And you guys should feel free to as well. It's the same thing with the comic book movies, right? Like, if the comic movies are too far out there, people are like, eh, you know? But like, then you do Logan and Deadpool, and people are like, oh, this is a comic book movie for non-comic book movie fans. It's great. But then a lot of them start feeling the same and formulaic. Final Fantasy is like that. Final Fantasy fifteen is an improvement on thirteen, but it's still fucking angsty fucking Final Fantasy. I don't know their obsession with hair and ridiculous clothes. I don't understand. I, I'm wait, so you, fascinated wait, wait, you, by the you, Japanese. You don't, you don't want to be part of a boy band? I'm sorry. I'm so. I actually like the bros. I do. I like the bros. I, I'm, I'm into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, not like that. Well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, really quickly, Ethan, before we get to the final three topics, um, Austin, I realized I didn't give you a chance to throw in your favorite RPG. Oh, yeah. Um, Unless we mentioned it. Well, we did talk about like two things I like to talk about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, my favorite RPG is just FF Seven, though. Okay, I, what, I said what? mine. Did I? Maybe no, I no. Wait, mine. hold on. I want to ask really quickly, though. Um, do you love FF Seven because of its sort of perfection, revolutionariness, the time it came out? But like, you obviously appreciate some of the other Final Fantasy games, so. What's what's like the main selling point about seven? Why, why do you think seven is so beloved by by people? Because on, on the surface, for hardcore fans, you know, it's not the quote unquote most complex or best, but it's the one people love the most. Really quickly, Austin, why do you think that's the case for you or other people? <laughs> well, just the point one to one thing. thing. You don't have to give me a dissertation. Yeah, the one big thing is just like how revolutionary it was. It was like something new to the table like the 3d graphics were like cutting edge at the time and you look back on it it's like wow it's pretty impressive what they were able to do with the things that they had yeah it was just the fact that for history like video gaming history it was like really good for um just being like an rpg game not only that but like it was just a good like it has a lot of history behind it and it just has a lot of things backing it up like the graphical capabilities and like you know how long the story was and uh yeah just the, the core rpg elements and stuff word Eth, what was yours pokemon mm-hmm. oh yeah we talked about that we talked about it but i didn't all right. uh all right kids i don't think you asked me well, it doesn't let's wrap up with some quick hits and we'll get out of here Eth, what do you got for us all right so i got a couple of things here mm-hmm. uh let's see here uh, just quickly looking at the new releases that came out uh, recently and today. Uh, Overcooked 2, uh, the recent Madden game. Uh, we Happy Few is actually something I wanted to quickly talk about. I've Super heard cool. About it, this. Came out, it, yeah. it just came out today, or really yesterday, but today. Um, its Metacritic reviews aren't looking so good right now, but I watched a couple streams. I was actually super into it. Hmm. It's basically a dystopian game set in the 1960s about uh, everyone in Britain being forced to wear a happy mask and take joy pills to forcibly make them happy. It 
and it's basically a Bioshock sandbox. It's called it's, Soma, if you've read Brave New World. Yeah. 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 It, it looks it looks super fun to play. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is interesting to me, but I'm a dystopian guy, so that that's yeah. just me. Oh, um, we'll have to we'll have to wait until can, the full Metacritic reviews come out to really uh, judge it. On that topic, can I ask Austin a quick question? Austin, we briefly mentioned Detroit. I read an interesting article today about um, analysis about like it's one of the first games in a while where people love it and are constantly complaining about it. Um, what was what was your final impression of the game after playing it? And I'm assuming you've had some time since you finished it. Yeah. Are you into Cage's other stuff? Like, how does it compare? Detroit Become Human. Um, technologically speaking, is the superior game. I think also the amount of like weight your decisions have compared to the other games is a lot better too. Sure. Because there's there's so many um, different trees in the game, and there was so much stuff that I did differently in my second, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth playthroughs, and it vastly changed the outcome. And you know, just the way that the story is written, most of it is like you know pretty bad, but like. The amount of things that could have went wrong just because of my decisions really impressed me because I tried different outcomes and things were vastly different. Hmm. So, hmm. Yeah, I, th- I just think that the ability for the game to be so, mm-hmm. like... Well, let me ask it, you it this. Was, let me ask you this. Because I watched some gameplay. Mm-hmm. It looked like a it more involved visual novel, essentially. Yeah, that that's essentially which that's I'm what cool with. I mean, I like Phoenix Wright and shit. You know, I am mm-hmm. totally down with that stuff. But there seems to be a pretension around Cage's games that it's more than that. And I think what turned me off ultimately was maybe I didn't watch far enough, but that it just felt so much like Blade Runner and other similar stories about android slavery and stuff like that. So without spoilers, as it went along, did you find the story to get more and more gripping and different from other stuff you'd come across? Yes, and mostly because of the attachment to the characters, mm-hmm. because the act the acting is really good in the game. Yep. I think just like the character progression and like the um, character development really like got me into the game like more and more. Like I as I neared the end of the game, I wanted to play it like more often because mm-hmm. it was just like I just wanted to figure out what was happening. Okay, all right, Eth, you got about five to seven minutes. So all right, uh, cool. Go ahead. Cool. I can run through the. I can run through these real quick. Mm-hmm. Um. Capping out, capping out the recent, recent releases, we have Dead Cells, which is a super cool, uh, much harder callback to a, to the Metroid-style games. Mm. Um, pixel art, really cool looking. But that actually brings us into some controversy that we had happen recently, where a IGN reporter plagiarized a small YouTuber's review of the game and tried to get away from it. Uh, and it ended. It, the whole story's been resolved at this point. It's gone for a circle. Uh, but just to quickly recap through it, um, IGN took down the review within 12 hours of it being called out. IGN then, the following day, fired the reporter. Uh, and IGN is now in talks with the small YouTuber mm-hmm. who makes his living off of YouTube mm-hmm. to compensate him for the ad revenue that they gained from the article and the video. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good story, full circle. IGN... Yep really did actually step up on this one i applaud ign for that yep like even if i don't agree with everything that they say and do and whatnot like they stepped up and they did a good job and they like they really 
I, try to resolve this issue as quickly as possible. I don't think it's a coincidence, though, that I heard Alana Pierce on Trier Show a week ago. She left IGN abruptly, wouldn't say why, wouldn't say where she was going, and she was trying to heap praise on IGN, but it was like damning with faint praise if you know that saying and she's like one of the most in-demand young female uh you know international um, reviewers and so forth and now she's like leading documentary shit which is going to be great uh and so when i heard the the most that news i was like okay this makes sense now because she was being very evasive about it and try it didn't push too hard luckily yeah um just 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 this morning we found out that germany is lifting their total ban on nazi symbols in video games so that they can finally play wolfenstein yay uh and last pieces of news luigi died that's cool and that was the hilarious most controversial <laughs> that was controversial <laughs> that was great Die. The most controversial news at all that has possibly come out more so than this journalist thing. All right, Nintendo has finally confirmed how you say NES. It's actually NES. NES. Yeah, like <laughs> the SNES for Super NES. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 really on our side. I say whichever one I feel like saying at the moment in time. But Look, a lot of people are like yeah. upset about this. If. <laughs> It, when it comes to Japanese, if it's between the normal way and the cute way, it's always going to be the cute way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nintendo Switch. <laughs> um, coincidentally, the, the same person who wrote the article that I'm reading about the Nest thing also put out a, 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 a poll and said, how do you pronounce PUBG? 62% PUBG, 9% said PUBG, and 29% Fortnite. <laughs> what and 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 one percent destiny <laughs> yeah exactly um all right you got anything else or we'll wrap up that's roughly what i got yeah okay um so uh the only major release other than dragon quest and then we've got um uh, i guess divinity which you know whatever um spider-man still a big deal they're releasing a new spider-man syst- uh design system i think um, Destiny. Uh, um, <laughs> so, anything else got co- coming up uh, that we're aware of that we should be covering? Oh, Monster Hunter World PC came out. Yeah, and oh. everyone still loves it. Yay! Oh, interesting. Okay, I don't have time to play it, so I'm not going to buy it. But you know, it's awesome, guys. Pick it up if you want a grindy game that's super fun. Okay, wait, hold on. Let me just check my list real quick, and then we will sign out. Uh, where are we? We're in August. I've really been wanting to play Yakuza. Yakuza Zero? Yeah, I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of... Yakuza, lot of, sorry, Yakuza. Um, I, 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 hear, I hear it's the more fun version of GTA. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, but like, there's a lot more stuff you can do in it. <laughs> I'll tell you that. There's and they also re- are releasing the Shenmue games, which I've never played before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Shenmue. Mm-hmm. I'm memories of that game so is the is this the re-release of shadow of war the like we're giving you all the stuff that we made you pay for before <laughs> uh, it's tradition it's traditional for them to do that I mean, they, did this, they did the same thing with um shadow mm-hmm. of Wardor. so cash grab it's, it's just another cash grab plan yeah it's oh and by the way i have prioritizing assets i have shadow of mortar which i got cheap like a few months ago that's another game i just have not been able to get into totally fine um, but, but you but you, yeah. you know you know what you will be able to play jesse what's that 
a lot of new games with your new PC. Okay, so we're going to talk about that off mic because I'm confused about that situation. Um, I got you. uh, uh, And I've been uh, playing some StarCraft 2. Love that game. Trying to get through it. I'm almost in the Zerg campaign, which I haven't played before. Super fun. Life is Strange 2, man. September 27th. That's what I'm excited about. I am not going to lie. Mega Man 11. Uh, What's Super Mario Party? Uh, it's a new oh. uh, Switch Mario Party game mm-hmm. in the series. It's um looks like it's going back to its core gameplay, just mm-hmm. like everyone rolling a dice and playing against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just using a lot of the Switch's like untapped, like unused technology. Mm-hmm. Like I saw them using two Switches next mm-hmm. to each other for a certain game and stuff like that. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll see how they creatively they use the Switch around this time in this new game. If Shoots and Ladders was a Mario game, but every time you rolled the dice, you had to play a mini game, you'd have Mario Party. I'd rather put a gun in my mouth. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's actually so much fun, Jesse. I'm never playing any Mario game again other than Mario Kart. It's just not happening. Um, oh. you'll, you'll love Mario Assassin's Party. Creed Odyssey, I'm still curious about if they head in a good direction. Red Dead 2, I haven't seen the, the trailer. Have you guys seen it? Everyone, I, I saw a little bit of it. Everyone, everyone who... Watched it, said it looks good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does look uh-huh. good. I'm never going to play it, but I, it looks, it looks, good. It looks, it looks good. Ethan, looks like there's a Persona 5 expansion coming out in December. Dancing in Starlight. Oh, no, for, that's for, a, for, for that's a rhythm game. game. It's for a their dancing game. game. Oh, so my every, God. Every, every Gun every in mouth again. Onward. The music's in it. Good music. Good, though. Um, All right. Every Persona game has a dancing game as well. So I think the lesson is we have to hope we have a fucking... 2017-esque spring coming up in 2019 because it looks, it looks like we will it looks like we will at least yeah. for people who like looter shooters and i'm totally not raising my hand right now you know what if, if every two years we get like a three-month period with tons of good games it's not the worst thing in the world honestly oh i would if every five years i if every five years we got perfect games mm-hmm. i would take every five years and you know uh, you know why it's especially great is if you can control yourself then you spread out buying the games and they get cheaper and cheaper as the year goes along to the point yep. where I'm going to be able to get No Man's Sky for pretty cheap soon, I think. I got Andromeda sh- cheap. I got Final you, Fantasy for nine bucks. You can, or- you can already get No Man's Sky for 30 bucks. So it's like, it's yeah, I'm waiting for it to come down to 20. So. 100% you'll be able to. Yep. All right. You should you should have got it before all the updates and whatnot and then it would have already been cheap and then GameStop put up the price as soon as it became good. Mm-hmm. All right, Austin, final thoughts? Anything else you want to tell the BizzleCast listeners? Um, congrats to all the winners of Evo. Uh, it was a really great weekend. Oh, do, you uh, have, do you have the, uh, do you have the winners? Uh, yeah, let me bring up every winner. Cause I didn't watch every game. I can tell you every winner. Every winner was, uh, Bayonetta, Bayonetta and Bayonetta. And Bayonetta <laughs> oh, and Bayonetta. right. <laughs> yeah. Strippin, Strippin posted that like the Bayonetta thing was the death of this version of smash or something. All right, and he's a, he's a competitive Smash player. <laughs> Let's see. Evo 2018 ended with dramatic Street Fighter and a controversial Dragon Ball Fighter Z finish. Yeah, it was. Uh, all the games were really well. Melee was still very prominent, even though it's going to be taken out of Evo next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the bad performance of smash four is going to reflect on that and we'll have ultimate in melee, Mm -hmm. but they want to really try to 
like merge Smash Four and the Melee community together. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what how that plans out. I mean, they mm-hmm. still pulled in like what a hundred and ninety k viewers for Melee or something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, just, that, that that's still huge on any like hey guys, scaling yeah. of watch. Yeah, can I bring up something that we mentioned a couple weeks ago? Sure, man. Can we go monster hunting together? <laughs> Will you be my monster should, hunter buddies? On PC. We should do it. Well, you're going to yeah. tell me after we hang up, Ethan, aren't you? Yeah. Awesome. So, guys, we're going to... Yeah, I mean, but in all seriousness, though, I mean, that's the natural progression of Awkward Controllers is that we start doing some Twitch streams together. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Ethan, final thoughts? Uh, 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 both Mario Brothers are dead? <laughs> oh, and you're going to send me that video of your dad. I'm going to post it on all my sites. <laughs> It's a bit long and it's not that interesting, but sure. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining. Uh, we'll reconvene in a couple weeks. We'll get some new topics. Um, and uh, yeah, this was fun as always. No sound problems. Great. And um, yeah, really appreciate you guys being on. Yay. Yeah. All right. This has been the Awkward Controllers presented by the Bizzlecast. Hope you all enjoyed this and um, get ready to start buying used games from the last few years because there's not a lot of good games coming out the rest of the year. So we will see about that. We'll come up with some more like big topics like the RPG one this this week and we'll uh, we'll sort of develop a system as it goes along. We're still finding our footing here. So that always happens with new shows. Thank you, boys. Thank you, audience. For now, the Bizzlecast is out.